You are listening to a sermon by Tanner Sherlock. Visit chialphashatterstate.com for more info. Many of you guys might have known we were supposed to have the state director, Brad Novosad, was supposed to be here speaking tonight, but he could not make it due to being ill. His family was sick, so he had to stay in Lincoln. And so yesterday morning, I get a phone call, and so I have to write my sermon completely all day yesterday. And so I was praying about what I wanted, what I would talk about tonight. And a topic that's been on my mind for a, a long time now that I want to share here at Chi Alpha is what God kind of prompted me to talk about. And the reason why I haven't talked about it is because it's a topic that everybody hates to talk about. It's a topic that pastors loathe talking about. And it's a topic that if you're brand new to Chi Alpha, you're probably going to get the wrong idea about Chi Alpha if I talk about it. We're going to be talking about tithing for a little bit. Not the whole sermon, just a little bit. 10% of the sermon. The first, first tithe was in Genesis 14, verse 19 through 20. And it says, And he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abraham, or Abram, by God most high, Possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. I absolutely hate talking about money. And it's kind of ironic because as missionaries, I get to talk about money a lot. I hate talking about money. So, but I really felt like God wanted me to talk about tithing. And I want to make it clear that I'm not talking about tithing for my sake or Chi Alpha's sake or the church's sake. I want to talk about tithing for your sake. It really is something that's personal between you and God. And it really isn't something where I have authority. It really is a heart issue between you and God. It really does come down to that. It's not about me trying to make more money, me trying to get you to, to give to Chi Alpha or to your home church or whatever it may be, wherever you tithe. It's not me trying to get more money. That's not what it comes down to. But as a faithful tither, I know what tithing has meant to me. And I know what God has done through that when I give faithfully. And so it really is so beneficial for your walk to take tithing very, very seriously. One of the problems we get into when you're in college is the number one excuse is, I don't have any money. I just don't have enough money. So, I'm going to share some statistics with you to make you realize you really do have money. If you make more than $1.25 per day, that's $1.25 per day, you are wealthier than a fifth of the entire world. If you make more than $2.50 per day, on average, you are wealthier than almost half of the rest of the world. If you make more than $2.00, and 50 cents, you are in the top 50% wealthiest people in the entire world. If you eat more than one meal a day, you ate more than almost one B, or a billion with a B. If you ate more than one meal per day, you ate more than a billion people on earth. A quarter of all humans on earth live without electricity. If you make more than $10 per day on average, $10, that's a little over minimum wage for one hour per day. 
if you make more than $10 per day on average, or more than $70 a week, or $300 per month, then you are in the top 20% wealthiest people on earth. $10 per day average. If you make $10 per day average, you are wealthier than 80% of all people on earth. Oxfam estimates that it would take $60 billion annually to end, completely end, extreme global poverty. That's less than a quarter of the income of the top 100 richest billionaires to completely end poverty. To put that into a little bit more perspective, that figure was $60 billion annually. America alone spends $711 billion on military each year. Over 10 times more money on military than what it would cost to end extreme poverty. So let's break out of that mindset like we don't have enough money to give. Let's break out of that mindset that we are too broke to give. Mark 12, 41 through 44. Go ahead and turn your Bibles. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes about a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put more in than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she has to live on. See, to God, it's not about how much money you have. And that's where I, I come in and I say, it's not about trying to make money. It's not me trying to make money. It's not when you go to church, it's not your pastor trying to make money. It really is giving out of your heart. Because God cares, and this scripture proves it, God cares more about how you give, what it means to you to give, than the total dollar amount that you give. It really is you humbling yourself and recognizing that God is more important than monetary value here on earth. It's saying, God is more important. God has given me everything that I have, and I want to faithfully return what God has asked me to. Because in Scripture, He asks us to give. And so you're saying, I'm going to line up with that. I'm going to line up, and I'm going to give that over back to, and it doesn't have to, I'm gonna, I mean, I'm not even going to tell you it needs to be Chi Alpha. I'm not even going to tell you it needs to be your church. I mean, it, it can be something if God lays it on your heart to give, I'm just going to even just go that far. If, if God gives it on your heart to give to feed one, your tithe, then do that. If God wants you to give to Chi Alpha, your tithe, then do that. But first off, pray about it. Pray about what God wants you to give and where He wants you to give it. Maybe the dollar amount God gives you to give is even higher than 10%. Because if we remember... Even a dollar twenty-five a day is more than twenty percent of the world makes in a day. Second part of that is come to the conclusion on your own. You can look it up in Scripture. Don't take my word for it. Look it up in Scripture. Find it in the Bible where it talks about tithing. Come to your own conclusion. Pray about it, and when you commit to give, actually commit and follow through with that. 
Because it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I'm going to tithe, and then never actually do it, than it is to actually say, hey, I'm going to tithe and be faithful with it. Even when it's sacrificial. Especially, especially when it's sacrificial. The third point is, to be honest, we live in America. View it as a blessing that you can even give. If you can only give a dollar, considering a blessing that you get to give a dollar. As I talked about within the statistics, a dollar twenty-five is more than a fifth of the population makes an entire day. And so, I'm not going to go into a ton of detail, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot more time on this, because it is, a, it is a really touchy subject, and I understand that. Money, and just to just put it blatantly, money is a huge, huge idol within our country. I mean, you heard the statistics I just read, and yet we can still say that we don't make enough money, even though we might buy a, a brand new car, we might have um, our college completely paid for, we, we have three meals a day and we still have enough money to go to McDonald's afterwards. We can still come to the conclusion here in America that we don't have enough money. But if you had that same amount of money in some of these other countries, you would be considered very, very wealthy. And I also want to reiterate again that I want to remind you that it's not about the money. I know I'm talking about money, but I'm not, it's not about the money. It is about your heart. It is about where you are at with your faithfulness to God. If you believe, if you truly believe that you're going to starve to death and you're going to die because you give your tithe, then you aren't trusting God enough with your life. And really, death should be about the only thing that prevents us and even in death, and actually even in death, we are asked to serve God. I mean, that's why the martyrs exist. They gave unto God all the way into death. And so unless it is going to cause you to die, this is something that Scripture has, throughout the Old and New Testament, has talked about. And it, He asks us to do this. This is a very clear command. And it is one of the biggest areas that I feel like as Christians we struggle with. And I feel like it is a pride issue. It is... It is a greed issue. It is an idol issue. And just to kind of share my little story about tithing, I always, I always made excuses with tithing, especially when I was in college, because I didn't feel like I had enough money or I didn't make enough money. I always made excuses not to tithe. And I'd always say, well, I'm giving 10% of my time to God. That's totally equal. That's not even close. 10% of your time is something you should be giving just out of love to God. You shouldn't replace what Scripture tells us about tithing with excuses. Because what it was for me was an excuse. It was an excuse for me not to have to give my money up. Because money was very important to me. And actually, to be honest, money was very important to me up until I became a missionary. Because then I realized how much you really can live without. Um, just, I mean, just for a rough example, um, I think last year we figured out that Courtney and I earned about $5 an hour if we averaged 40 hours a week working, which we actually worked more than that. But we would have earned about $5 an hour. And we still have enough money to go to these events like Salt because we still have to pay for it. We go to these events like Light because we still have to pay for it. Every once in a while, our, the district will chip in and pay for our hotel room, but we still have to pay a cost of food, the gas, everything. And so even off of less than minimum wage, we still can afford to do some of these things 
Because God comes through. I went to the light conference just last month, right? Went to the light conference. I knew we didn't have enough money in our budget to go. But I prayed about it and God said, go. And so I said, okay, I'm trusting you, God. I know we don't have enough money to pay our bills. And you can ask my wife the whole trip. I kept telling her, we can't pay this bill because we just don't have enough money. We're not going to be able to make it back. But somehow on that trip, when we got back, I actually made money. Because while I was there, people gave me money. Just randomly, other pastors walk up. Hey, here's 50 bucks. Hey, here's another 50 bucks. Other missionaries, other missionaries came up and gave us money while we were there, and we ended up actually coming back positive. That's just an area where, and I don't recommend going into the black on purpose, but it is something you need to pray about. But what I am saying is, once you give it over to God, He comes through, He's faithful back. He's not going to let you starve to death. And if He is going to let you starve to death, then I guess you're a martyr. Which, in America, you're not going to starve to death. When I started tithing faithfully, once, once we started tithing faithfully, the number one thing that happened to me was my grip on money. How important money was to me. The, the idol it was in my life broke when I decided I was going to start faithfully tithing Every single month, no matter what, I was going to tithe. As soon as I decided I was going to start tithing, I actually followed through with it and actually started paying that. My grip, the pride of that money held in my life started to break. And so, like I said again, it's not about the money. The, the, the place that I was paying my tithe to at the time really probably didn't notice the extra $20 a month at the time when I was in college because that's about how much I was making a month. They probably really didn't notice the 20 bucks. It's not about the money, but for me, it was so much more because it brought me through so much. It brought me past greed. The last few weeks, we've been talking about getting out of your comfort zone. And talking about money is definitely out of my comfort zone, standing in front of you guys talking about money because I think it's probably the first time we've talked about tithing in here in six years <laughs> because it... Trust me, I, I don't like talking about it. So don't think, I just want to reiterate again, don't think that it's about the money for me. But I do want to finish on that. Once you've prayed about it, if you have more questions about it, feel free to come talk to my wife or I. If you want to give to Feed One, if you want to give to Chi Alpha um, with your tithes, come and talk to us. We'll show you how to set that up and so that you can give to them monthly. In the topic of getting out of your comfort zone, I want to talk about our safe zones. We get into our, our safe zones often. The safe zone is basically this. You're saying, I know God is bigger than this. I know God has said all the things that is possible, or all things are possible, and I believe that. I believe that God is a God of miracles, but, but just in case this situation is bigger than God, just in case God has stopped doing miracles, just in case God doesn't want to step in, I'm going to stay in my comfort zone. I'm going to choose the option that keeps me the safest. That is the safe zone. Even though you might have the, the notion in your mind that God is all-powerful, God is everywhere, 
and God is all good. Even though you believe that, you still come to the conclusion that you're going to stay in your safe zone just in case you're wrong. I know for me, uh, and I've shared this before, for me that area is really prayer. Where I'm in my safe zone with prayer. Because as I'm praying, I get to a point where I'm acting like God has already decided not to do what I've asked Him to do. Or not to do what I've prayed about. Not to bless whatever I've asked to bless. Um, heal whatever I've asked Him to heal. I'll come to a point within my prayer, within maybe 30 seconds, where I've already become convinced that nothing's going to happen, that the prayer's not going to come true, and that I'm basically praying for no reason. Prayer is definitely my safe zone area. It is a struggle for me to get out of that and continue to pray, believing the things that I know about God. Pray, believing that God is all-powerful. Pray, believing that God is all-good. Pray that God actually does have the best intentions for me in my life. He has a path better than what I've even decided for myself. It takes me a little bit to get in my mindset almost weekly. I have to step back and I have to say, no, Tanner, you're praying as if God's already been defeated. Take a step back. Pray, what you, pray the way you believe God really is. Or maybe what I'll do is I'll start praying and I'll say, I'll say yeah, God is all good. For everybody on earth, except for me. How many of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about? You have that thought, yeah, God would probably do this if anybody else prayed it. But it's me, and I know me, and I know God wouldn't bless me. See, that is you being in your safe zone. Your safe zone doesn't necessarily mean you're comfortable sitting at home. Your safe zone is your attitude in which you view God. Do you truly believe God is all good, God is all loving, if you believe He can't love you? Do you really believe God can do all things if you believe that, he's not gonna, that He can't help you? We get pretty confident in our own abilities. See, because what happens is we move from our safe zone into our own power. It's just a natural progression. Because we've decided, I'm going to stay in my safe zone, I'm praying this way. I don't necessarily believe God is going to do this. So then I'm going to act in my own accord and I'm going to trudge through this whether God likes it or not. We get pretty confident in ourselves. And it's the natural step after our safe zones. So how are you going to get out of that safe zone? How are you going to stop hitting roadblocks after roadblocks with your faith? How are you going to decide that enough is enough? I'm tired of being where I'm at. Let's move this down the field. Let's get going. How do you make that natural progression? And I feel like, for me, the best way that I can move out of my safe zone, move out of my comfort zone, get to a point where I am growing again, is to come up with and prayerfully come up with a game plan. If you guys know sports, what happens with a team that just walks out on the field, who hasn't practiced, has no game plan, hasn't done anything against a team, 
who has a game plan, has practiced. A team that didn't practice is pretty much going to get slaughtered, right? Well, let me tell you something. The enemy has practiced. The enemy has a game plan. And this war is not against flesh and blood. It is against the enemy. So if you don't come to the battle with a game plan, what's going to happen to you? It's going to get ugly because Satan knows humans. Satan knows us way better than we probably even know ourselves sometimes. Because he's been around. And I guarantee he's got a game plan. And his game plan probably spans a lot farther than we can even realize. Positive thing is, we know somebody who also has a game plan, whose game plan is better, whose athletes are better, whose design is better, who's been here longer. So you need to get in tune with God and His game plan and come up with your own game plan. What does that mean for you? Well, do you struggle with reading the Bible? How many of you guys don't read the Bible as often as you would like to? I know, that's, that's me. I wish I read the Bible more. Your game plan then needs to include something set out in which you read the Bible. If maybe you don't like waking up early in the mornings and you struggle, the alarm clock goes off and you roll out of bed and you stumble into class in your pajamas and one sock on, then maybe reading the Bible first thing in the morning isn't what you need to start doing. Maybe you struggle with hanging out with friends way too much and it's even maybe affected your grades. So maybe what you start doing is See, I know you guys have a game plan when it comes to your school because you know you can't get on Facebook when you need to study. You know you have to stay away from Netflix when you've got a test coming up tomorrow. You guys know these things. You've set them out. You've started to, to, to create, and by your senior year, you know exactly what teachers are easier. You know <laughs> what classes you can get away with skipping this week and not fail. You know which classes you have to go to every single solitary time because if you don't, the teacher's actually going to notice. They're going to send you an email five minutes after class gets out and you're going to either have to lie to them or just tell them you overslept. So you guys have game plans with your education. So why don't you have game plans, and I'm blanket statement, why don't we have more or a better created game plan when it comes to our walk with Christ? So if you spend too much time hanging out with friends, or you spend too much time on Facebook, maybe what you need to do is say, all right, I need to read at least one chapter of the Bible before I am allowed to get on Facebook for the day. doesn't matter if it's at noon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 6 in the morning. You need to read one chapter before you're allowed to get on Facebook. Maybe you struggle with hanging out with friends too much and your friends distract you. Then you're not allowed to hang out with your friends until you've got 15 minutes worth of God in. Maybe waking up in the morning is easy for you, and you're one of the type of people that I absolutely loathe, and you are hunky-dory in the morning. Then maybe wake up 30 minutes earlier so you can be even happier and spend time with God. But you've got to have a game plan. You've got to get to a point where it turns into a habit. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be in a habit of reading God, but the longer you do something, the easier it becomes. See, when I gave my life to Christ, right off the bat, first thing, right off the bat, I decided I was going to read through the entire Bible. 
So I started reading, and I was reading like 10 books or 10 chapters a day. <laughs> 10 books, that's reading uh, Jonah. It's like a page. Read that 10 times. No. Um, but I would read like 10 chapters a day. And actually, some points where I was reading entire longer books, I was reading 20, 30 chapters a day. Man, I was just hungry. I was eating it all up. But then I started to get a little too comfortable with it. I got to the point where I started saying, you know what? I read like 30 chapters yesterday. I'm good to skip today. And then one day turned into two days. Eventually two days turned into three days. And then 10 chapters turned into one. And then three days went by and I could barely get through a few verses, and then eventually I quit reading right about halfway through. And it was about, it was honestly only about three months had gone by. And I was halfway through the Bible, and it stayed there for almost an entire year because eventually it got to the point where I just quit reading the Bible. The only time I read Scripture was when I went to a Bible study. And in my mind, I decided that that was more than enough. I had gotten to the point where I got comfortable in what I was doing. I was comfortable with the fact that I had already read enough and I'm good to go for today. But you've got to take it one day at a time. You have to be responsible for today. If you read 10 chapters yesterday, cool. Scripture tells us to worry about today. If you haven't read your chapter or your verse or whatever your game plan is, if you haven't done it today, you need to do it today. Don't say, I'll put it off till tomorrow. Because what happens if you don't get tomorrow? What happens if you don't get around to it tomorrow? You just decide you're not going to get to it again. And what happens? You put it off till the next day. What happens if you can't get it to it the next day? You put it off for another day. Eventually it gets to the point where Reading Scripture is so far down your list of priorities that it now no longer has any importance in your life. So how do you break that cycle? You take care of today. Take it one day at a time. If you haven't read Scripture today, read it today. Don't worry about reading tomorrow. Don't worry about reading the next day. Read today. Now have a game plan, like I'm saying. Have a game plan. And your game plan might consist of reading for 10 minutes or doing what I recommend if, if you really struggle with reading Scripture. And reading Scripture is the last thing on earth that you seem to enjoy to do. I like to call it read until you have an aha moment. Your aha moment might come one single verse in. It might come an entire chapter in. You might have to get through an entire book to get to an aha moment. But read until God reveals something to you that you either didn't know or is awesome. Somebody read the very first verse of Genesis to me. You. Zach. Quickly, quickly. If you don't know Genesis, it's the very first book of the Bible. Yes, I know you know. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whoa. That's awesome. I didn't realize that God had created the heavens at the same time as the earth. But if that's your aha moment, then stop. Meditate on that. Think about that. Continue to think about it. Pray about it. Ask God, will you continue to show this to me? Will you continue to reveal this to me? 
meditate on that point. Maybe your point is an entire book. Maybe your point is the whole book of Jonah. And you didn't realize that Jonah was the exact opposite of the story of Isaiah. Where Jonah doesn't want to preach to the people, but when he does preach to the people, they actually repent. And if Isaiah, if the people would have repented in Isaiah, then the destruction wouldn't have come. Maybe that's your aha moment. It's an entire book. And stop there and pray about it and meditate about it. How many of you guys work out? Okay. Those of you guys that work out, how many of you guys know the difference your workout really has if you show up to the weight room with no idea what you're going to do and you just wing it, or if you have a set list of what you're going to do and you go through and you actually do everything you're going to do, which mode do you get a better workout with? The second one. How many of you guys work out the first way? That's me. I never know what I'm going to do. But that's my point. When you don't have a game plan, when you don't have a game plan, it's easier to cop out. It's easier to back out. It's easier to turn on Netflix. When you don't have a game plan and you don't have a set of what you want to do for the day, when you don't have that down, it becomes easier for you to procrastinate. I mean, you can take this even with your schoolwork. If you know exactly what you need to do, you can get it done today and still have time to do whatever you were going to do. You would still have abundant time, but if you push it all, all the way back and you get to a point all of a sudden, all the stresses of the world, everything that's just coming down on you is going to start squeezing tighter and tighter and it's going to get to the point where you either end up in crying in depression or you break and you just can't handle it anymore. You get to the point where you don't know whether God's even real or not. You get to the point where you're having to do, you know, in your schoolwork, you're having to study for 10 hours for your test. Whereas if you'd have just started ahead, you could have been doing it one hour, one hour, one hour, and had all the free time you wanted, but instead you have to dedicate an entire day, maybe two days to study instead. Having a game plan helps you out in the long run because you can't back out of your duties. You know what you need to do. Christmas break is coming up. Thanksgiving break just happened. Maybe Thanksgiving... May, Thanksgiving... <laughs> Hey, for some people. Maybe Thanksgiving break wasn't exactly mm, beneficial. Maybe it took you back a step. Maybe, maybe even look back as far as the summer break. Maybe when you came back from summer break, you took 10 steps back. You really didn't progress. But before break, you had it in your mind that you wanted to grow over break. You wanted to come back in a better spot spiritually than when you left for break. And I know that's almost everybody in here honestly has that desire to come back from a break closer to God than when they left for break. Because maybe, you know, you have more free time to do it. You've, you've got this, you've got that. But you notice that when you came back from your last break that you were actually a little bit further behind. Or maybe you took one step back. Maybe you took three steps back, two steps forward. But you just came back farther behind. See, it becomes easy to fall into your temptations of your past life, of, of what you used to struggle with when A, you don't have a game plan, B, you don't follow through with it, 
And C, you just assume that you can just wink it, wing it, wink it. And I'm struggling tonight. Christmas break is coming up. You've got, so you've got three weeks. You've got three weeks. You're going to go back home. You're going to be hanging out with your old friends. You're going to be doing the things. And it's going to be real easy for you to fall back into that lifestyle you were in. It's going to be a lot easier than here where you have a support system set in place. And so right now, I want you to understand and I, and I want you to be preparing your three weeks out before your break. That means you've got three weeks to come up with a game plan for over break to come back better off spiritually, closer to God spiritually, maybe more on fire spiritually. You've got three weeks to plan for the, the three weeks after that. That's more than enough time to come up with a game plan and follow through with it on your break. Because what happened on your last break that you struggle with, what probably happened was you thought you could wing it. Then you started to slip just a little bit. Then you stopped spending time with God just a little bit. Then you stopped reading your Bible just a little bit. And eventually that little bit snowballs into more and more and more. And eventually it gets to the point where now you're falling back to almost completely into your old lifestyle. Or... You've fallen back completely into your lifestyle of just sitting down and watching Netflix or whatever it is. Whatever your struggle used to be. Proverbs 16.9 says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their step. So do you have a game plan? Both A, for your Christmas break. B, for today. For tomorrow. Do you have a game plan? If the answer is no, that I really want to strongly encourage you to sit down tonight, come up with a realistic game plan. I'm not expecting you to read 10 books of the Bible this week if you hate reading. Be reasonable and realistic within your expectations, but don't set your expectations and don't set your game plan so low that you're not growing. Push yourself. Get out of your comfort zone with it, but make sure you're realistic in it. And then remember to take it one day at a time. So maybe your, your struggle isn't necessarily reading Scripture. Maybe you really enjoy reading Scripture, but your struggle happens to be in reaching out to the lost. Then make it a point to pray to God every single day to sh for God to show you people that you can reach out to, that you can begin to share the Gospel with. Pray specifically those kind of things. And when God asks you to do something, God points somebody out to you. Be faithful with it and actually do it. Maybe that's your struggle. Maybe your struggle is spending time with God and listening to Him. I mean, it doesn't matter. If, if, if I tell you to think about what you're struggling the most with when it comes to spending time with God or when it comes to serving God, when it comes to your walk with God, I tell you to think about that one thing. If something comes to mind, then you need to have a game plan for that one thing and how to address it. See, when I talk about reading the Bible and how much I enjoyed reading the Bible, I'm now finally to a point where I'm enjoying reading Scripture again, but I've had to take it back a notch. I've read through the whole Bible, obviously. I'm a pastor. I probably should have, should have done that. But what I do now in order to help me to remember what I've read I have, I have to separate what I'm doing up here, what I'm doing ministry-wise, what I'm doing small group-wise, what I'm doing. 
I was. I have to separate that. That's completely separate. I cannot count my study time for my sermons as my reading time. I have to separate it. Because that's something that I'm praying about specifically in which I want to share with all of you guys. And yeah, it might be something speaking in my life, but maybe it's not necessarily. So I have to separate that. I then have to take my own time and I read one chapter a day and I go through that chapter and I meditate on it and I pray about it and I ask God to show me things within that chapter. And maybe I might reread that chapter. If I can't remember a single thing that happened in the chapter, I'll reread it. I might reread it three or four times, but I read one chapter a day, and I try to remember as much from it as possible. And if God highlights certain things about it to me, what I'll try to do is I'll try to remember those throughout my day. And what actually ends up happening, and it's kind of awesome how God does this, is he'll show you something within a verse, and then all of a sudden stuff starts happening in your day in which you can either apply it or share it with somebody else. It's so cool the way that God begins to work that out. And so for me, I have, like I said, I have to keep it separate from what I'm doing up here, but I try to read one chapter a day. It doesn't matter if it's in my Bible or if it's on my phone or if it's uh, you know, in my preaching Bible. Whatever I do, I, I need to read it, and I need to read one chapter a day, and I try to stay faithful with that. And if I forgot to read yesterday, I don't try to go back and reread 10 chapters if I've skipped 10 days. I focus on today's chapter. Yeah, I might have missed yesterday and I didn't read anything at all, but today I'm still going to read one chapter. I'm not going to try to overwhelm my, myself and, and rush past something God's trying to show me. So if you didn't read yesterday and your game plan is to read one chapter a day, read one chapter today. Then tomorrow, read one chapter tomorrow. If you forgot to read the Bible today, read one chapter tomorrow. Do you, what's your game plan is? If you need to do an aha moment, do your aha moment. But often we get to a point where we pray for God to do something. Maybe, maybe we're praying to God to get closer. We, we pray to God to, to grow closer to Him. But we don't actually take the steps to accomplish it. Maybe we're praying for more patience, and we just expect God to miraculously make us more patient. I guess I need to clarify what I'm saying is, I'm not saying if God doesn't act, you push forward through it no matter what anyway. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, if you are asking God to help you read the Bible better or more, but you don't actually open your Bible up, you're probably not going to read the Bible more. It still takes commitment from you to follow through with what you've asked God for. Maybe you were struggling financially, and you ask God, God, will you just bless me with a million dollars, but you don't go buy a lottery ticket. Same concept. Don't go buy a lottery ticket. The same concept. There's the, the story of the, it's a joke, but a uh, guy falls off a boat in the middle of the ocean, and he's just swimming, 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 and he prays, God, would you just miraculously just, just get me to shore somehow? And a boat shows up, and hey, Man, I can't believe we found you. And he goes, no, no, I'm, I'm waiting for God. God, God, please, will you just find a way to get me to shore? And a second boat pulls up. Hey, do you need a ride? You're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. He's like, no, no, my God will, my God will get me there. And he starts praying, God, God, will you please send or find me a way somehow to get me to shore? And a third boat shows up. And the guy says, no, no, I'm waiting for God to, to get me to shore. And he ends up drowning. 
first thing he gets to heaven, God, why didn't you get me to shore? And God replies with, I sent you three boats. That's the way we act sometimes. We ask God to help us do something, but then we aren't willing to act on when it, when it shows up. We aren't willing to, to take the steps to, to do it. Matthew 6, 33 says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. If our priorities are set right, we will be seeking God and His kingdom first. We will make that a priority. It's not just going to happen miraculously. We need to put our foot down and start making the commitment and start taking the steps in order to take that time. Spend it with God. If you don't take the time to spend with God, but you're asking God to spend more time with you, how hypocritical is that? If I ask my wife, uh, Courtney, guy, Courtney, I want to spend more time with you. Can, can you please spend more time with me? And she sets out five hours of her day to spend time with me. And then I spend that five hours downstairs in my office. How frustrated is she going to get with me? It doesn't work that way. And I don't think God works that way either. I, I don't think he's just out to be our magic genie when we ask for things that he'll just magically appear. We've got to get out of our comfort zone with stuff. We've got to get to a point where, everybody close your eyes. When I say, what is your biggest fear of falling into over Christmas break? When I say, what is your biggest fear that you'll fall into over Christmas break? The number one thing that you don't want to either repeat, you don't want to um, do, you don't want to fall into that number one thing Whatever that is that came to your mind, I want you to right now think about a game plan that you can come up with to make sure that that doesn't happen. Once you've come up with a game plan, immediately I want you to write it down in your phone or write it down in your notebook, whatever you've got. As soon as you've come up with any sort of solution, if you can't come up with a fear, you can't come up with a struggle that you don't want to repeat, if you can't come up with anything, then this is something that I want you to pray about tonight. I want you to take some time, pray about it. Ask God what one area is that you want to grow in. Okay, quickly, close your eyes again. If you're writing something down, remember it, but close your eyes right now. And in your own time, I want you to pray really quick and ask God, What is the one area God would like to see you grow in or improve in or an area that he would like to see you do or give up? or I mean, it doesn't matter what exactly it is, but an area that that God wants to see growth in you with. Pray about that really quick. If something came to your mind right off the bat, write that down too. So my challenge to you then is... If you wrote something down for the first part, the fear that you don't want to go into, and you came up with a game plan, over the next three weeks before you go home or before break starts or whatever, when you have free time, develop a game plan, a detailed game plan for your day-to-day game plan, not long-term, but your day-to-day game plan that you want to do with this. And then the second part that you prayed to God about, if you got something and you wrote it down, I want you to include that into your game plan. And actually ask God if that's what He wants to do. 
and ask God what kind of game plan he would like for you to come up with, even if you wrote something down, and, and take some time and, and allow God to help you come up with your steps. As the proverb says, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. You can come up with your course. You can come up with your game plan. You can come up with all of this stuff, but unless God is determining your steps and you're actually asking God and allowing God to determine your steps, it really is in vain. And I want to encourage you guys. Man, sometimes Christmas break can be the point in time when you go through the biggest breakthroughs you have and you see the most growth. Um, It really can be an amazing time because you're not stressed with school. You're not trying necessarily to, to impress anybody because everybody else seems to be busy with their own families and their own things. And, and it's not hard for you to actually chisel away some time and go and actually spend some time with God and actually spend some time and, and read your Bible and, and, and focus on God. Huge breakthroughs can occur, but you've got to have the mindset going into break that you actually want to see breakthroughs with God and actually dedicate your break to God and what God might want to do with it. Instead of using it as a time to, to, to conquer Fallout 4 or whatever new video games out there, instead of using it and using every free moment you have on Facebook or video games or going out partying and drinking with your friends or whatever it may be, whatever, it's, whatever consumes you, Instead of doing that, it's three weeks. Instead of doing those things, take that time away. I mean, it's Christmas after all. I mean, it, it is the reason for the season. Take those three, week, three weeks and actually just dedicate them to God and say, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to take my tithe of the year and dedicate it to you, God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to meet today. The snow was blowing and I thought maybe they canceled school. And so I'm glad that we had the opportunity to meet today. The the last Chi Alpha official meeting and sermon style Chi Alpha of the semester. Lord, I just pray that you would bless these students as they leave here, that, that you would help them to create a game plan. That, Lord, you would moving them a way to grow closer to you. But I ask that you would protect them as they're going out and about with the snow and with the weather. But Lord, I pray that you would help them to figure out a way to study and to get their homework done so that it minimizes stress. This time of year can be so stressful with finals and with huge papers coming up and with all of the things that you probably should have done early in the semester. Lord, I just pray that you would help them to chisel out the time every day to take care of their schoolwork needs too, on top of what time they're going to give to you. Lord, I thank you that even though we come up with these game plans and we we can come up with these worldly things, these these ways to, to grow closer to you, Lord, I just thank you that you sent Jesus to us to die on the cross for us, that you paid the price for us, so that we don't have to go through ritualistic religion. Lord, that we can just stop, take a moment, and spend that time with you. I thank you that when we spend time with you, that you're willing to meet us there too. Lord, I thank you, and 
praise you and give you all the glory. In your name I pray. Amen.